Welcome to Gardening Naturally with Jeff Ferris. Call or text Jeff now with your gardening and landscape questions. 512-836-0590. Hey, good morning, gardeners. What an interesting day. I don't know if you all were up this morning, but man, that sunrise was awesome. Deep color looks so good. (laughs) Orange and red. Oh, beautiful sunrise this morning. So what are we doing? Well, today is going to be another Goldilocks day. I don't know how else to describe it. Um, The lows are going to be above freezing. 10 degrees maybe above freezing. And the high mid-60s for most of this week. Oh, folks, that's just perfect weather. And when we're talking the last week in January, it's almost unbelievable to be this nice out. Um, That's fine with me. That's fine with me. That lets me get out and do some things. Um, One of the things that may not be particularly happy about today, unfortunately, cedar cedar counts going up. That's not good. It's a high number. The nice thing about it is we're not too windy. We're not too windy. That makes a big difference. We're going to have light breezes and not, you know, 20 mile an hour gusts like we did the other day. But man, that cedar is going to start sneaking up on us again. Unfortunately, or unfortunately, depending on how you like spend your weekends, they've got a fairly high chance of rain coming next Saturday. And that's always a good thing because it'll help wash the pollens, the cedar, etc., out of the air. Now, the mold count goes up when that happens, but welcome to welcome to Central Texas. There's always some kind, some kind of pollen in the air. Always something to to worry about. So, but this weather, man, just beautiful. I'm watching more and more people walk past my home on the on the pathways because they're just getting out there, and that's good. That's good. We should all be getting out there more often. That would be good for our health, not just physically, but mentally. Outside in the sunshine. That's a good thing. That's that's a, a great thing, actually. The um, there is an organization, and they have been researching heavier and heavier into the concept that we talk about so much in organics that you need to increase the soil biology. Right? Lots and lots of soil biology. It improves the soil. It fixes the tilt. 
It breaks down nutrients into usable forms. It enables the soil to absorb more water and still drain it out. It is everything that we are looking for. Well, there is an organization called the Global Soil Biodiversity Index, GSBI. You can look them up on the web. They have a really interesting website. They have been studying worldwide. These are folks all over the world doing soil sampling and checking for that uh, biology that's in the soil. And we're not talking just things like bacteria or fungi. We're talking about all these micro critters like springtails and uh, uh, pirate bugs and all of these things that are still pretty much a, a microscopic thing and the work they do in the soil. Well, someone has been working really hard to try to classify soil based on what its biodiversity is. How much, how many critters does it have growing in the soil? And each part of the world, the soil will have different critters. Maybe in our environment, which is kind of alkaline, we would have a certain critter, certain critters, lots of little bio um, biologies running around in the soil. And somewhere like in the Northeast, which is pretty acidic, you would find a different set. But the trick is, not to worry about what's where, what's where, but the different quantities, the different kinds that are in each growing area and what the optimum number or blend is. So these folks have been working and working and they're trying to classify to the point where well, they can tell you a lot about your soil. Folks, I gotta take a break. When we get back, let's talk about this some more because this is a really good guide that can help us build up our soil. Be right back. This is Gardening Naturally on News Radio KLBJ with host Jeff Ferris. Jeff is ready for your calls or text messages at 512 836 0590. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Last uh, segment, I was talking about the Global Soil Biodiversity Index. This is a measurement of how many microscopic and larger biologies you have running around in your soil. Now each part of the planet, because everybody has different soils, will have different biologies. But what they're starting to study and find is that if you have X type soil, you should have Y type 
biologies at a certain quantity. And they've been working and working, and they're coming up with some testing where you can test the soil and know where you are on that scale. Are you missing everything you're supposed to have? Or, gee, you've got everything you need and it's doing really well? Not only are they starting to figure out what the numbers should be, they are constantly working on ways, what if I'm short? What if I don't have everything I'm supposed to have? How do you increase that? You don't go out and buy a bunch of springtails or crickets or little things like that that actually work the soil. What you do is you provide the food for the soil. And this is where in the organic world, we will tell you compost, organic matter, fixes all ills of the soil. Is your soil too much clay? Compost. Is your soil too sandy? Compost. Is the pH too alkaline or even too acidic? Compost will fix that. Does it not drain well? Does it drain way too fast? Yep, the answer is still always compost. They're starting to combine the ideas. This biology, which provides for the plants, which changes the texture and composition of soil to be what it needs to be, and organic matter, which feeds all the goodies that do that work, all of those little critters. They're starting to get guidelines after years of testing and measurements and things like that, they're starting to get closer to where they can tell you, here's your soil test, here's the biology we discovered in your soil test, and here's the fastest way to build them up more. And can't emphasize enough, it's that little itty bitty critters. Sometimes you can't see them. Sometimes they're obvious, like earthworms. They're going to be able to say, you have too little, you need more, and here's what you need to add to get it. Now the thing about it is, is no matter how you phrase this or how you do it to increase it, you you cannot fix it overnight. You can't walk in with a jug full of, here's all of these biologies, dump them out into your garden and they'll spread out and you're fixed. These are always just roadmaps. They point in the direction you need to start taking your garden. Things like, oh, wow, uh, we find that you don't have this particular biology in big enough numbers. This biology absolutely loves this kind of organic matter. There you go. Let's add that in, start working that in, 
to start developing more of what you're looking for. This could be really important because we're talking about huge increases in the yield of the soil and the soil's ability to store carbon. That's really important. The improvements will allow the soil to retain water so much better. We won't have so much runoff. And we can get the, the moisture back into the soil to have all of this biology going to make the soil spongier. So when water is falling or does rain, things like that, uh, the soil will do a better job of holding it for you. It won't run off. It won't drain away as fast. So you can really develop a good, a good till, a good uh, moisture content, everything you need to make soil the best it can be. And that will increase our yields, whether you're growing a tree, a tomato, or you want some petunias. The soil is the key to everything. And we're getting better and better at being able to tell you, oh, we know what you need for this sample you sent us that you can apply to your entire landscape, your garden, flower beds, whatever, and it will help improve the soil. And we're not just talking all oh, fertilizer. No, 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 no. That's, that's not the answer every time. Because I can add fertilizer, but it won't change the texture of the soil. The plants may grow, but the soil doesn't increase its water holding capability. And we really need to look at saving water because I don't know if you've looked around here, as low as our water resources are, they're still trying to put in new development. They're still trying to suck more water out of a limited supply for all these new houses, all these folks moving here. It's going to be tight. We, we're still in a drought, you know. And if we were to continue long years of drought, where are we going to get the water? You're going to have to develop your own property to be able to keep your garden, your trees, your landscape, your flower beds. You're going to have to develop the soil so that it uses the least amount of water it can. Saves you money, saves your landscape, really can make a difference. Check out the Global Soil Biodiversity Index, GSBI. They go into such deeper detail than I do, and they write it at a level doesn't make sense 
to use 50 cent words when they can tell you on a nickel word what you should be doing. It's, it's really great information. Folks, this is Gardening Naturally. We're at the bottom of the hour. We're going to break for the news. This is Gardening Naturally on News Radio KLBJ with host Jeff Ferris. Jeff is ready for your calls or text messages at 512-836-0590. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Um, what is probably the priorities this week out in the garden? Remember, we're going to get cold again. It would be it would be great from our perspective not to have to go through a freeze again, just this lovely weather until summer, but we're going to get a freeze again. Hopefully it won't be anything obscene like the freeze apocalypse of several years ago. Hopefully it won't be tied to any ice storm, but we don't know. We don't know. We just got to kind of let it play out. What can you be doing? What should you be doing in your garden? Well, first off, in your flower beds, I had a huge, huge bed of lantana. I now have a huge bed of black dead crispy leaves. Same with my Turk's cap, uh, pavonia, all these plants. I, I lost two really pretty uh, Durantas sky flowers that were blooming a week ago. Not now. There are these black shrubs because they froze. You probably have the same thing in your garden. Whether I've got frozen peppers, the plants are dead. Same with tomatoes. Um, but I also have, like I said, all these flowers. Some of them didn't get bothered. Some of them are like, yeah, I'm used to this. No big deal. But some of them, like, no, that's it. I'm done. So disappointed. Had a huge bed of schoolhouse lilies still green and sticking up and looking great. And uh, they're all done too. They're, they're, they're laying flat. Those leaves are going to die and get broken off and I'll get new ones in the spring. But I am not going out there to trim anything yet. Nope. Nope, not going to trim anything yet. It doesn't look bad, all right? It'll be fine. It, it, it'll be fine. All of those dead leaves, all those froze back plants, they are hiding places for wildlife, from rabbits, to birds of all kinds, that gives them safe places. It also provides an environment for all kinds of beneficial insects, for overwintering butterflies, and 
had people called in in the last few uh, weeks talking about if you leave the leaf cover, if you leave your dead leaf cover on the ground, that's actually home for fireflies. They multiply in that environment. So if we are too enthusiastic about getting out there and cleaning stuff up, well, um, we may have to uh, clean it up at some point, but doing it too soon wipes out habitat. Habitat for things that you want to have. So I guess I'm saying is you don't have to work so hard. There are no garden police, well, I rephrase that. There may be some HOAs that get a little burr under their saddle, but there's no need. No one's gonna write you a ticket because you didn't trim back, name the plant. You didn't cut them down. I can see that they're there dead and frozen and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, you do not have to run out there and do it immediately. Many of your plants, many of them will look horrid. And guess what? My bed of lantana that's black right now, all the leaves are black and crispy. They'll be fine. When I do get around to cutting it down, lantana will come back from the roots. Esperanza will come back from the roots. Your pride of Barbados will come back. So you want to cut it down, you don't like how it looks, go for it. But you really don't have to do that work. It will be fine. It will be fine to leave everything there to provide that environment for the beneficial insects who will help keep your garden landscape free of bad bugs. It'll be fine to provide all of that habitat for the spring's butterflies because they'll be coming out. And you know what? The birds and the rabbits, they're going to love having places of cover. They're gonna be able to hide away or stay out of rain or freezing rain. It will provide shelter for all of those critters. So, look, I know sometimes it's like, I don't want to, I I don't want stuff to look bad either. But when I walk around my property right now, maybe I'm just used to how it looks. I don't think it looks bad. I'm not cutting back my golf muley yet. I think that the grasses that we have, they are not beautiful only when they're green. They have an architectural appearance to them. These tufts 
along uh, within my property where the grasses are growing. I think they look good. Even though all of the stuff above the ground is now dead. So I have brown grass. Big deal. So don't get over enthusiastic about cleaning stuff up. It provides too much of a benefit. And I hate to tell you this, I can almost promise we are going to have another freeze. The only hope we can have is that we have a few days where it gets below freezing overnight, but it warms up during the day. That would be perfect. That would be really great for us. I don't want to see where we freeze and we don't come above freezing again for 100 hours. That's terrible. That is that is terrible. Um, I do notice one thing. Those of you with fruit trees, I have plums and pears and pomegranates. They are going to want to be trimmed before they start getting too green and blooming out this spring. It makes them easier to trim when you can see them and there's no leaves on them. I need to shape my plums so that they have the, the, the structure that the tree should have for the best harvest. Those of you with peach trees, you really have to trim your peach trees. You need to cut them back and prune them to a given shape. And you're going to remove maybe 40% of new growth. You're going to trim back up to about 40% of your new growth to promote great blooming of your peaches. So you get lots of peaches. My pear tree has got these water sprouts. There'll be a branch, all of a sudden there'll be a little nub and it grows straight up in the air. It'll never have any fruit on it. I need to go remove those. They're not doing any good for the tree. I get a lot of shoots at the bottoms of my trees, too, my fruit trees. That's probably from the graft. And I'll cut those out when I start trimming the tree so that there's no shoots popping up from the trunk. Have to do that almost every year. Trees are aggressive growers. But... That is something that you could probably be doing now because your trees are not going to go dormant and then come back to life and go dormant again. You could probably do that now just to get ahead of the game. And you know the weather is really going to be nice out this week. So if you got to be outside trimming, hey, it's going to be really pleasant. Folks, this is Gardening Naturally. I need to take a break. I'll be right back. This is Gardening Naturally on News Radio KLBJ with host Jeff Ferris. Jeff is ready for your calls or text messages at 512-836-0590. Hey, welcome back, everybody. 
Um, get a question about fruit trees. Do you have to prune your XYZ tree? Yes. Surprise, pretty much all of them. Peach trees, you really need to prune them for two reasons. Peaches will overproduce. They, they will produce a zillion peaches. And you're like, whoa, why, why would I want to lose those? They will be all these tiny little hard rocks that turn green but will never turn peachy. Also, you will have so much fruit that you will watch a peach tree break its own branches. Strange, huh? You want to prune peach trees so they have a structure that is a very open center so sunlight can come in. And you don't want one that is particularly tall. You want to be able to eat, reach every fruit standing um, at best on, on a, a block, on a, a, a short step stool, so that you can reach the fruit without having to get up in a ladder. You can keep peaches very short. Plums, kind of the same thing. You can uh, <clears throat> control the, the, the length of the branches on a plum in the same way. You make it too tall and you can't reach the fruit. That fruit tends not to be picked. And when you don't notice it, it gets infected by insects or disease. And then that affects the whole tree. So your fruit trees, you should be pruning them when they are dormant. And if you go to the Texas A&M AgriLife website, they'll give you descriptions of how they should be shaped how tall, how to prune them to a strong structure. Apples and pears also need pruning, not in the same condition that peaches and plums do, but they want to be pruned so that you don't have crossing branches or the water spouts, the straight up in the air shoots that won't hold fruit. So there is a lot of pruning on your trees, your fruit trees. Fortunately, you should only have to do it once a year. But doing it that will keep it happy, will keep it productive and able to hold a lot of fruit. Let's go to the phone. This is Lee. Lee, what can I help you with? Yeah, I want to plant a fruit tree, and I'm in Cedar Park, but uh, I got a lot of squirrels. So what kind of fruit tree do you recommend? Um, any fruit tree. Just accept the fact that the squirrels are going to share your fruit. I mean... Fruit trees will get productive enough that you and the you and the squirrels can share. To assume that you're okay. going to plant a tree and you want every single fruit it produces, 
That's not really realistic because if it's not the squirrels that steal it, it'll be the birds that ruin them. Oh, I didn't even think about the birds. Yeah, they're pretty. They're pretty nasty about it. Um, yeah. They will poke one hole and ruin the whole fruit. But yeah. again, a healthy tree will produce enough fruit for you to enjoy and overcome the problems of like squirrels and birds and things like that. If I get a peach uh, tree, do I need to get two different ones or? You do not. I know a lot of people will say that, but that's not true. Uh, peaches are self-fertile, all of the peaches. Would it be better if you could get two? Yes. And even better if you got two different kinds of peaches. But no, you really only need a single peach tree to get it to produce fruit. Okay, well, thank you. You answered all my questions, and um, I love your show, and Merry Christmas. <laughs> thank you, Lee. Um, yeah, folks, I, I hear people say this. And it's like, wait a minute, who told you that? I will hear a lot of people in conversations about somebody says, oh, I think I'm going to get a peach tree. And out of the blue, people will go, oh, no, you got to have two. No, you don't. You do not need to have two. There are plenty of self-fertile peach trees, lots of them. It will be more productive if you have two. They they will help pollinate each other. And um, they don't have to be, you know, real close. They can be one end of your property to the other. But you do not need two peach trees. What's more, you do not need two plum trees. There are several varieties of plums that we get here in the Central Texas area that will do just fine by their lonesome. Also with pears. I have one pear tree and it produces wheelbarrow full loads of pears. They will do better, marginally better, if you have two and there are varieties that can pollinate each other. Having two trees, especially when you have ones that need chill hours, means you can get one that goes with very few chill hours and one that goes with more chill hours. That way you just increase your odds of having a successful, productive year of peach. So peaches, apples, Pears, plums, every one of those fruit trees has a self-fertile variety. So you could get by with only one tree and get fruit from it. It's interesting how uh, that happens. Rather than thinking about having to put two peach trees in, why don't you put two fruit trees in? Maybe a peach and a plum, or a peach and a pear. Take advantage of the room you have, and uh, 
by planting more than one tree, you greatly increase the possibility of harvest. You get more fruit. Folks, this is Gardening Naturally. Got to take a break for the news at the top of the hour. I'll catch you on the other side. <laughs> 